D. Yeah, I am an I am an elves and swords kind of guy. Same, same man. The like only other Marvel. genre that really grabs me is zombie apocalypse. I actually taught a history of zombie cinema class. I've taught two classes on Dungeons and Dragons and one class on zombie cinema huh. at my local library and was paid to do so. Oh, that's dope. I want to do that. I want to f- my whole goal in life is to get people to pay me for my opinions about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that's that's the ultimate goal. Like screw teaching or like being a professor. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm one of your hosts, Crispy, and with me, uh, like always, is Carl, my co-host. Hello, everybody. Ron could not be here today because of an unfortunate uh, Yeti hunting accident. No, I, I don't know what's going on with Ron. He He's ill. I do know that. Um, so that sucks. Everyone, you know, thoughts and prayers for, for Ron. Um, I kind of want to, like, every time if Ron misses a show, just come up with some new ridiculous... Like, excuse for why he's not here? Recovering from level drain. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, Carl, let's uh, just briefly, super briefly, what have you been up to since the last show? Oh, I got to play with um, uh, DM Crafty again. Uh, nice. I played basic D&D at a, a local game store, DM Crafty, hmm. uh, with some of the same people I got to play with at Arkansas RPG Con. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Like, yeah, like, his... 3D terrain was amazing to see. Uh, again, those those photos are up on our Facebook page, uh, uploaded by Carl um, for Arkansas RPG Con. And as for me, uh, my 5e game has become weekly. Uh, we just added a fifth player to it. We're playing through uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen right now, and uh, three out of my five party members are incapacitated. <laughs> Ended up accidentally killing them. I wasn't even trying to. It just kind of happened. And, uh, you know, of course, the holidays are coming up soon. So this is the week of Thanksgiving. It is Monday now. So I uh, should have this up for you guys as a nice Black Friday treat or Black Saturday. Actually, what's the color that is associated with Saturday? Is it still black? Is it just like a black weekend? I know there's Black Friday and there's Cyber Monday. Yeah, Cyber Monday is when you go, you jack into the Matrix and Neo's there, and he's like, I need deals. Lots of deals. <laughs> Buy these curtains. I, I know, know feng, feng shui. shui. Oh! That was That's going to come up. That is going to come up absolutely perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> Let's jump into the show here. Uh, this is going to be Adventure 142, like I said previously. We are doing uh, Moving On Up. So we're going to talk a little bit about... To the east side. To a deluxe apartment in the sky. We'll be talking a little bit today about uh, ways you can kind of give your PCs status and a place in the world before they hit name level. There's the whole, you know, you hit name level and you go, dang, I have a castle. And uh, I don't like that interpretation of that rule. But we're going to get into that in just a second. Let's listen to a word from these sponsors. If AD&D is number one, have we got a podcast for you. On the Roll for Initiative podcast, DMs Vince, Nick, and Matt. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Check out all things related to the game that Gary built. This is basically the module trying to get you to fight things when you shouldn't. Yeah, it's they basically taunt you. They're being playful. They're being playful. They feature old and new modules, supplements, musings on rules, advice on DMing a game, and occasionally feature new writers and classic creators of all things 1E. And think of it this way. Number appearing, 2 to 12. 12 demigods hanging out together? 
Yes, but the green man has nothing underneath him as a classification. Zero. No. Nothing. No. Just he's God of yeah. growth and abundance. We don't need to put down any other classification at all. We'll just give it to the mud man. That's the Role for Initiative podcast. You can find it on iTunes or at RFIpodcast.com. So you like AD&D 2nd Edition but no podcast to listen to? Guess what? We got the cure right here. I got a fever. And the only prescription... The Thaco's Hammer Podcast. You want me to put the hammer down? Join DMs Glenn, Brian, Corey, and Full On Gamer as they discuss, debate, and review the world of second edition AD. Yes. Go here. Give me a gin. Yeah, that's that's DM Corey ordering drinks. Sorry. Sorry. Girlfriend's getting gin. Rules, modules, supplements, clones. Everything 2E is fair game. Someone lied to you, and there's an opposed role, and, oh, they won, so you believe the lie. I know, but I don't, because I, the player, know that they lied to me. But Mm -hmm. you, the character, have to act like you take the lie. So listen to a podcast where number two is number one. The Thaco's Hammer Podcast, the best damn second edition ADD podcast ever. You'll find it on iTunes or at Thaco'sHammer.info. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Moving on up. What brought this up is actually um, the Kingdoms of Yerendi uh, brought this up originally uh, when we were looking at that for last episode when we were doing that research a little while ago. Ron and I kind of got on a tangent uh, how you of how you could incorporate kingdom structure and and that tournament into your normal D and D game. You know, becoming king just by being the best warrior. D and D is kind of weird when you look at the origin of the game because it is it is steeped in war games but you were playing the campaign and the campaign was going from being you know just normal everyday joes to being the movers and shakers of the world and you see that in your class progression you know you hit name level and suddenly you you can opt to build a stronghold or you can build a wizard's tower or found a church or a thieves guild Classic D&D, fighter is your archetype. It's not just your combat role. You know, your it, it is and it isn't. Class and career and archetype are weird, hard to explain nebulous things, but you can kind of, you can be a prince who's trying to reclaim his kingdom as a fighter, or you could be Robin Hood as a fighter, or you could be Conan as a fighter in, in basic D&D. Right. And all of those things... Your stronghold can be expressed in very different ways. Um, it could be you could found your own country if you're the exiled prince. You could, you know, start your band of merry men. There's a, a lot there, but it's it's very odd when you look at the rule and you go, oh, I hit ninth level. Now I, I get to build and found a town. So that might not be right. what you're doing. I, I think what's more interesting is giving players the option to sort of build into this gradually and that's sort of the basis for the show today i think that's the spirit of the rule i think the idea is name level is really the level where you're famous Mm -hmm. and um 
I think that can be one of the more satisfying uh, elements of an ongoing role-playing game is becoming the legendary hero. And I think that's what draws us back to the role-playing game. And I, I feel this way about any serialized media. Uh, we become connected to the character more than the story. And uh, I feel that way about any television show you watch or any book series you read. Um, you are you are following that character. And once they start progressing and once they start developing, that's what's bringing you back to the story. And it's what's bringing you back to the RPG table as well. Yeah. And, and I think planting those ideas of people knowing about your character, your character progressing, becoming uh, notorious, uh, infamous, possibly, um, or possibly just legendary and famous and celebrated, depending on what type of game you're playing. I think that is is really the end goal of any person sitting at the table is becoming this powerful legendary character comparable to uh, Gandalf, Aragorn, Conan, you know, all these legendary figures in literature. And it's interesting that you say that because thinking about that, I, I think a good classic example of a, a character from literature that is like a D&D archetype is, is Robin Hood. And I don't know the first thing about Robin Hood stories outside of the Kevin Costner movie, but I sure. definitely know, like, I know what Robin Hood is about. I know the character right. Robin Hood, but I don't know anything about his adventures. And I think that's an interesting point. Like, you're coming back for the character. That's actually really interesting, because I think that's a big thing. That's a grudge I have against modern play. I like to be a referee. I, I think you're also in the same boat more than right. a storyteller. And modern games are set up to be all about having a story told to you. And I just want to be, like, a clearly defined character who gets put in weird situations and let's see how I react. When I build a character, I don't think about mechanics. I don't think about their backstory. I don't like think about what happened to them when they were 12 that caused them to become uh, an adventurer or their tragic backstory. I go, all right, this character acts this way in these moments. And right. that's my like that's my ace in the hole if I need character motivation. I go, what would what would what would I do right now and then play into that quirk. It may I agree. Oh, I think there's a misconception that the history of the person dictates their reactions. Yeah, I, uh, I've i talked about this in other places, but I don't want to read sure. your backstory. I don't want to read your four-page short story about your character. Like, So with modern versions of many RPGs, there's mechanics set up that encourage you to create a backstory and uh, those mechanics then influence the game by reacting to your backstory. But what I feel like is what actually happens is you end up creating a fourth level character's backstory and run them as a first level character. Mm -hmm. So you have this uh, character that's fended his hometown from a goblin invasion and now he has this grudge match with this goblin lord and you wrote all this down to kind of see how it goes in the game but i think it's always more interesting to play that than to just write it down and start from there yeah i always like trying to play new adventures um the character i'm playing in a game now is i'm a barbarian but i'm on my quest of like proving my manhood so I'm I'm out to try to kill the biggest creature. Right. That's how I'm gonna try to make a name for myself in the world. Is I wanna I'm I'm gonna try to kill Strahd. That's we're in Ravenloft. That's the biggest creature. Sure. My so you bring up fifth edition, which I think fifth edition does a good job personally of 
giving you like a bond of flaw and an ideal. So a thing you can always like have in your back pocket. Yeah, I I personally dislike rules that combine the narrative and the mechanics. Hmm. So inspiration for me, I don't like that because the idea for it is to motivate role playing, but the action of it to me personally takes me out of the game. Hmm. Where um something happens that's cool and then instead of reacting to the cool thing that's happening you go here's a mechanical bonus because of this cool thing so and that's just a personal preference of mine yeah. there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's no I definitely can see where you're coming from I disagree but you know like hey everyone plays this game differently that's why they invented AD&D <laughs> that's exactly why yeah. <laughs> and yeah it's just I've had a lot of players, not, not to like have this be like a let's bash on stuff that people have done, because, you know, some DMs may like to have a well-developed, rich backstory from their players that they can then try to exploit, um, but okay. that's not my style. I, I like to have fresh-faced adventures. You know, maybe someone's a hardened veteran, and they're a, a first-level man-at-arms, or a first-level fighting man, you know? There's a weird disconnect there. Elves, I think, are a weird disconnect there as well, because it's like, I'm 300 years old, and I just decided to go adventuring now. And it's like, but why, though? Like, shouldn't you have all kinds of wondrous powers? So it's sort of, I think it's more a failing of the implementation and the mechanics of a character class, because that's a weird nebulous thing that's never been defined in any sort of satisfactory way than it is the players, like, just wanting to play a cool character. Right. So what I, I, I typically do where people are trying to play the antithesis of their type. So like a dwarven wizard, for example, I want to be a dwarven magic user. Well, how did you become a dwarven magic user? And they give you this whole long detailed story of of how that happened. And to me, that just doesn't sound like a first level character. Yeah. You already had all this happen. So what I would encourage that person to do is let's roll up a dwarf. Let's be a dwarf. And your goal will be to become a magic user because... Mm -hmm. My job as the dungeon master is to keep things entertaining. And I think part of that is fairness to the players. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason why that dwarf can't learn spells. And we, we handle that within our table yeah. in a way that satisfies everybody at the table. Yeah, without that's always needing been... a class race structure that sort of makes it all about the mechanics and the sorting of the mechanics. Huh. Yeah, because, I mean, like, what what really is a wizard in classic D&D? &D? You know, you have some spells. You have spells on a D4 hit die. What's to stop... I mean, I mean, sure, there's plenty of game reasons to stop a, a dwarf from learning a spell, but I think it's... It, that's what that player wants to do. It's fine. Like, I'm a stickler for very few things. I don't personally like dwarf magic users just because I like my dwarves to be non-magical. But, like... If a player wants to do that, you know, what's the harm of having a, a dwarf wizard or a wizard with a sword? Is that wizard doing a D8 damage or that dwarf being able to cast a magic missile really going to break the game? I don't think so. Here's Dude. my thought is the concept of the game is already broken. I can sit down 4,000 magical weapons for you to find or I can sit down 4,000 balrogs for you to fight. <laughs> um, I control how easy or hard this is on you. Yeah. 
when I run the game. You, you can sit down with a bad DM and have a bad time because what they're doing essentially is not focusing on what makes that enjoyable for that table. Yeah. And I do mean that table to table to table. I will have a different DM style if I feel like the table feels this way or that way. Mm -hmm. um, because I will have more fun finding the right balance for that table than I will trying to force that table into the game. Into I playing play. a certain way. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, I, ultimately, you're playing this game with your buddies, uh, typically. Like, that's, that's how I play yes. it. You may do it at a, at a game store and to make new friends. But um, there's nothing wrong with doing some compromises. Like, um, I was using, like, side-based initiative recently, and we were re-rolling re every round, and I was like, oh, what do you guys think about that? Because they're, they're newer people, they didn't really have access to that before, and we had kind of come up with a new system. We're like, oh, we like that, like, we like being able to sort of <clears throat> mold our turn based on what we need to do during that, but, right. like, rolling, we don't like the concept of re-rolling every round. That So, instead, we're still doing side-based, but it's set. Let's get a little back on topic here with this. <laughs> this has been good D&D talk, but it's not what the D&D that we're talking about now. I think you and I are sort of on the same page here where if you were to take the full range of let's just say back me D&D, basic expert, okay. companion, sure. master, immortals. I think we're more in the B area. We're in the yes. basic expert area, which ends at 14th level. So, you know, you hit you hit name level and you have a little bit of room above that to go. I mean, the highest game I've ever played has gotten to eighth or ninth level and they did become, you know, the heroes of the realm. Um, typically, yeah. we just retire after that. Have you ever done any kind of immortals play? Just real brief. Um, when I was uh, 16, 17, uh, my uh, friend, my brother and I had a game going. It was a, a mix of rule cyclopedia and AD&D second edition with a little <laughs> bit of first edition crossover. We were kind of just pulling everything from everywhere. Um, yeah, I've been there and, with uh, 3.5 and AD&D first edition and Holmes yeah. basic. So we would just open each book and find the rule we like best. And that's the rule we use. <laughs> um, we were essentially playing immortals without actually we didn't have access to Wrath of Immortals or the Immortals box set. So we didn't know really that even existed, but we were, I mean, I, I want to say it was like, we were writing down that we were like 50th level at that point. We yeah. would just keep, keep the wheel going. Um, I, I had a similar experience um, when I had like first learned how to play D and D at the lunch table in like freshman year, I right. brought what I remembered home to my group, like that, you know, to my group of friends who, you know, were a year younger than me or a year older than me. And we, like, we had, like, dragon. We, like, were raising dragons and, like, just all kinds of weird stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, my brother had a wizard's tower for his wizard. And my uh, my best friend had an assassin's guild under his control. Mm. And we would hand wave, you know, wars. Not just battles. Like, okay, this war happens. And, yeah, you guys win, obviously. Yeah. So it took, you know, it's kind of just the escalation of the narrative. When you have a narrative based around uh, gaining power, 
then the escalation has to be what can now challenge you and what can now challenge you. And you see this, um, like, so in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you see this in that narrative where, okay, well, first it's a mean vampire. And then it's, well, now it has to be even bigger and even bigger and even bigger and even bigger until it's like you're fighting gods. And then you're fighting the very first thing that was ever evil. And uh, we, we experienced that too, where we had to introduce villains to kind of match the extremities of, what we were thinking our characters were able to do okay yeah i <laughs> that's interesting that's really cool i we should we are the immortal edition but i think we should do something with immortals play at some point in the future but i yeah i feel like there's a natural progression from going to first level to maybe 14th level that's a lot of experience points where you retire characters once they they hit name level you know, like you be, unless you're playing like a Conan or a Warrior King where you still go out adventuring, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of a natural, like, all right, well, these characters are done point. You know, you've got your castle, you've got your thieves guild, you've become right. the grand shadow of, of Waterdeep and your guild of Whereats have like, have sprung a crime spree amongst the countryside the likes have never been seen in a thousand years since the 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 hand of deception came you know that like that sort of thing um but i don't think that that needs to be the only way that a character gains status in the world i don't think building a castle and being like this is this is bob the fighter's town it's named for our founder bob the fighter i don't think that should be the only way that you're your players sort of make their mark on the world. And I do think making your mark on the world is realistically what the game is all about. Like, yeah, it's about getting treasure, but, like, what are you doing with it? Are you just hoarding it? That seems really dumb. Like, you could buy 75 magic swords. Um, I, I, I think the way you, you do that in a game where it's not just about your title, but I think it's done through your relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the way to handle that is to, one, first provide interesting non-player characters for them to interact with. Mm -hmm. um, stuff that will drive the imagination. And create a world that exists with or without them. And what I mean by that is if everything requires their impetus to move forward, then the, the world is in a stasis that really the only focus point is them. Yeah. So they they exist and the world doesn't. But if you make it to where, okay, well, we've been adventuring over here in Four Town for a while, and then we go to uh, the mines that are in the north, and there's whole things have happened since you've been here. And mm -hmm. this is what we're dealing with now. And and you weren't here to help us. And, and uh, uh, it creates a structure to where they can find their place in a world instead of just um, them defining the world by their own actions. Yeah. I think the trap with that, the trap thinking is being like, oh, like every time the players do something, something else has to progress in the world. I think you can just kind of not really hand wave it, but you know, if you know they're returning to the mines in the north, this is just a player tip, I guess. Um, if you know that next session they return to the mines in the north and it's been six months since they've been there, I think just a jotting down like, oh, like these are things that may have happened instead of like keeping tabs on what else is going around in the world and sort of playing D&D &D with yourself. 
I mean, that's an interesting thing. That's They say that the DM's role is the best role because you get to play D&D more than anyone else. You get to play when, when everyone else isn't playing. But I don't know, I, I have a full-time job and, like, a girlfriend and, like, games I'm I'm playing in. I don't have time to sit down and do that. No, no, I, I just this make it show. up when it happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I figured yeah, you no. would. But, like, just to listeners out there who are maybe new to this concept, like... The players weren't there. They don't need to know every detail. And I, I definitely agree. Um, Mike Shea, who uh, goes by Sly Flourish on Twitter to give a unsolicited shout-out, wrote a book called The Lazy Dungeon Master, which, as I've said a thousand million billion trillion quintillion times, I hate prepping. Uh, and his system is just go, all right, well, like think about what your three most important NPCs have been doing, and then jot that down. And then think about, like, maybe one to three evil NPCs, and what have they done? And you can bring those things in and be like, oh, have you heard that Duke Mordred in the south has, has captured a, a clan of kobolds to be his foot soldiers? And has basically taken over the... I'm doing an NPC voice right now. Taken over the Dalelands. Oh, I did hear that, Farmer John. Oh, those poor people in the Dalelands, so far away south from us. You can do that kind of thing. Like, you don't need to necessarily advance the plot forward, but yeah, with without the world moving around the players, the game kind of just feels like a computer RPG. It's The game is off right. when you're not in that area, they're you just, know? They're just sitting there with a big yellow question mark above their head until you click exactly. on Exactly. I was thinking um, more what, And also what I think is, is it, the more real you make the world, the more uh, lived in you make it feel, the more meaningful the narrative becomes when they gain that respect. And I think that's what name level is about, mm -hmm. is... It shows that you've earned the respect of the world around you. And that will matter more if the world around you has become this living, breathing thing you're interacting with, as opposed to this thing that you're making happen. Mm -hmm. And we, we made a note about that as well. Um, it's a really weird, arbitrary ninth level because everyone's going to reach that point at different points with how experience points work. Um I think that you making a name for yourself and earning the respect and becoming a, a, a mover and shaker in this world should be a focus. It should be something that you talk about to your players before the game starts. I think it's something you should be like, hey, like, you guys are going to exist in a in a world and things will happen without you. You, you know, this quest isn't just going to be here forever. And that also gives them, that introduces some high-level choice making where it's like, do we, like help this old woman find her missing granddaughter or do we go like fight the skeletons in the graveyard and then it turns out that like you know the skeletons were just a bunch of hoodlums who uh were trying to play a trick on people but like now that old woman's granddaughter is a werewolf and she's terrorizing the village introducing I, those I, concepts i think is important and it also lets People know that they're not Have just on the never-ending adventure, which is my least favorite thing in D anD. d Yeah, the point of of planting these um, characters and 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 these story points and these narratives is how they impact your player characters because mm -hmm. the narrative focus of a good game is on the player characters. Yes, it is. Um, uh, if if you have more important people to the story that you're running as DM, you're doing it wrong. And I, I rarely say you're doing it wrong, but that point you're doing it wrong. But that does not mean 
the power structures are all the same. You can have more powerful NPCs and people who affect the world more, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about narrative focus. We're talking about who is the protagonist of the story, who is driving the story forward, and that has to be your player characters. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that there's not other things that happen that are out of their depth. But once you start making that the focus of the game and not the player characters, the focus of the game, then what you've basically begun doing is reading a book to your whole table. Yep. Yeah. If you're going to just make your NPCs do everything or have them meet all your cool NPCs who are so cool with their bright, shiny armor. And they did all these things a million years ago and look how cool they are. Go write a book. (laughs) <laughs> We're not playing D anD D. The game should be about us, and I don't think like and that's the thing with this topic is it should be about the PCs, and I don't think you should wait until they reach ninth level till they become like a duke or the buttress <laughs> of Windsor. I mean, and I don't think there's anything really uh, wrong with starting as royalty or mm-hmm. starting as somebody with political power. Yeah, because when you're in a dungeon surrounded by ghouls. All that political power means jack. Yeah. Doesn't help you at all. Um, (laughs) Good luck rousing parliament to vote for an embargo across these ghouls. (laughs) I do think that having those kind of stationary NPCs where... uh, So let's say you meet the real powerful wizard at at the beginning of your your career Mm -hmm. and he's he's this powerful wizard in the tower that has all this magic as long as they're not stealing the focus of the players that's a good thing to have because what that shows them is what they're moving towards yeah i actually did this uh, because this is like we're jumping around a little bit um, I actually did this exact thing in a game um, a few years ago. So, Carl, have you ever played the D&D arcade game? Yes. Yes. So Shadow Over Mistara um, mm-hmm. is, like, my favorite 90s arcade game, aside from Street Fighter Three Third Strike. We had a game where one of the characters, basically her mother was the elf from that. She was okay. the elf from that, and she had met a human bartender and fell in love and settled down. The rest of the party still went adventuring. They eventually became the Warrior King. Um, mm-hmm. They became the Archmage of, like, the the Wizard's Tower. Uh, the, like, High... The Hierophant, I guess? Is that how you say that word? Hierophant? Hierophant? Hi- like, the head priest in charge of the local temple, of the local god, and, um, right. like, right. the the head of the Mercantile Guild. That was the dwarf. This character, like... In her backstory, they finally convinced her mother to go out for one last adventure, and she died. So they all Mm. came back, and they basically, they raised her. So she was in with all these NPCs. And because of that, all the other players got to meet these NPCs and be introduced to them. And and they were very strong, like, very strong presences, 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 presences. In the game, but because they held such high positions, they weren't able to just do stuff for them. So, like, oh, like, we could have the mage do this, but, like, he's he's in charge of the whole college. He's, like, the dean. He, he doesn't have time for that. We could have the king do this, but, like, he's the king. He's got to do tax levies. And so they got to experience these characters, and it helped develop her backstory for why she went adventuring, because she was basically trained by this party of elite, of elite adventures, but 
they were side fixtures. They were like a nice like right. oh like oh we cool we get to interact with this character again. They're really cool because of how strong they are and like they're really well defined. But it was not a focus. The focus was still on the players and their journey. Yeah, I think that's the correct way to do powerful NPCs. Mm-hmm. I want to eventually. It's something I want to do, but I don't want to do it with those people who played those NPCs is take those characters and do like they're the next generation of that. So the player characters from that game, you know, she the the character in question, she took over her dad's bar and her husband, who was also an adventuring an adventurer with them, like also took over the bar. They just run the bar now, Um, you know, and and other people are doing other things. But I I primarily play with the people involved in that game, and that's really weird that, like, now I'm playing their characters. Yeah, I'm doing something like that now uh, in our family game. So my whole family plays D&D. Like, mm-hmm. and we have a new family game using uh, BX D&D. And what I am doing with this game is I'm taking NPCs and player characters from our past family game and presenting them in our new family game as NPCs. Mm-hmm. Um, to where uh, someone will come in and they'll recognize the name from an old game. Uh, and what, I, what I've basically said is this is, so our fantasy campaign world that my family plays in is called Dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, well, this is Dominion 354C, and it's a parallel Dominion from the other <laughs> game world. So these characters are mostly the same, but different enough that, that I don't feel like I'm stepping on everybody's toes. Mm-hmm. Or, or playing their characters for them. Yeah. So it allows me that freedom. But it's it, another thing that I think can help make the world more concrete for everybody is when you have those name level characters. You progress your, you know, first level fighter all the way up to lordship and they have a castle. Then if they become an acting character uh, on a grander scale in the world for new player characters I think that's there's something rewarding about that for the narrative yeah I feel like you should always try to if you have that player playing in your game you should run it by them but I would love yeah. to play in a game where you know it's 50 years later and someone I had played is now a mover and a shaker and I get to meet them um so kind of getting back in I think like providing a keep and man at arms earlier than ninth level is is fine. I think like like you had said, starting off as being a noble, maybe having a retinue of of mercenaries or not mercenaries, but like retainers. Um, they they do that in birthright in second edition, and I think that's great. Like you start with like a group of like forty dudes, and you can take them into the dungeon with you, but you're splitting the XP forty four ways. Right. So that kind of takes it down. But having like a group of dudes, maybe you should, have you ever seen the magic sword, the fifties? Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, he's got the seven knights. Right. Yeah. Like doing something like that would be interesting. I think there are other ways for you to kind of make your way in the world. I, I specifically want to talk about like backstabbing, courting favor, um, warrior Ronnie Reaganing it or arming right. it. Let's say in your, your character's downtime, you know, maybe you are a noble and you, you do have a retinue of people, but you still go to balls and, and royal functions. And right. maybe you're, you know, you're trying to pit kingdoms against each other. Or say you're um you're a really good, like, trade negotiator and you have to go to Naboo to talk about the trade blockade. You could give that to your players and they could 
run with that and look for ways to keep doing that in order to become more well-known and, and build a, a better a better presence in the world. And eventually, if they hit ninth level, maybe they start, like, maybe they f- start the world's first law firm. Sure. Or um, or or a, a bank. Yeah. You know, that'd be something for that person to do. They could become the, the bank of their uh, world where, where uh, that's where they see the real power. And I think that's an interesting thing to do where you gain this power not through this, uh, the, the conceit of the normal, uh, you know, dungeon adventurer. Yeah. You gain this power through um, manipulation and, and pitting people against each other. And I do think, and in my games, um, I would award experience points for that. Mm-hmm. Just like defeating monsters or gaining treasure, you know, um, you could gain treasure that way really quickly, possibly. Yeah, if someone um, gives it, you a thousand gold for <laughs> for making it so that they have exclusive rights to silver mining in an area, I, I think that's earned. That's a thousand earned experience points. You're yeah, halfway. You're so. you're a quarter away to your your first level elf being th- second level. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elves take a while. It's Elves right. just take gotta, a while. They gotta manipulate a lot of people. Well, I kind of want to talk about this. Um, so, so distilling this idea down to just the three little brown books. Mm-hmm. So there's no thief. We got fighters, clerics, and and uh, uh, magic users, and that's it. Um, there are no rules in the three little brown books for magic users to build a stronghold or a castle or a tower or anything. Um, and it's impossible for a dwarf, elf, or halfling to get high enough level to do it. So the only people who build strongholds within the Three Little Brown Books is the fighting man and the cleric. And I wonder if that's not almost a balancing act between hmm. the power levels of a high-level magic and the power levels of a high-level fighter or cleric. Yeah, I could see that. It's also when you think of sort of the literature that inspired the Three Little Brown books, Gandalf or or even Elric, uh, they don't really hang their hat anywhere. Right. They're they're on the never ending quest, which I'll, I'll talk about that. I we should do an episode about that at some point. Um, <laughs> it's my least favorite thing. Um, you know, like Elric, he gets transported to multiverses where he, like, fights in a, a war where his side is all different versions of himself or, you know, goes out banditing. Conan, who would be... I, I still stick to my guns that the way to make Conan in, in classic D&D is to not have a barbarian class. It's to be a fighter with a climb speed. You know, he's the kind of guy who founds a kingdom. Um, Gandalf right. doesn't found a kingdom, Thorin does though. Yeah, uh, pre pre uh, uh, Tolkien, um, most fantasy literature, c- civilization belongs to humans. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of the conceit. There is that the human fighter, the human cleric, you know, these very founded in normalcy characters are are the ones that progress and take part in civilization. Yeah. Even, like, uh, going way pre-Tolkien, something like Beowulf, where Beowulf, he has a kingdom because right. he becomes a, a very famous adventurer and warrior. Or even pre-Lord of the Rings Tolkien, Farmer Giles of Ham. Farmer Giles is just a normal dude. He 
finds a magic sword and enslaves a dragon and uses that dragon to become wildly rich and right. uses that dragon to protect his his funds, you know? That's that's not a wizard doing that. Merlin didn't have the kingdom. King Arthur did. I, I think you're correct on that, that, like, it may be a balancing act because if you're playing an elven adventure or playing a dwarven adventure, I don't think your character is going to be an Elrond or a Thorin Oakenshield. I think you're gonna be you're gonna be a Gimli and a Legolas, where you're you're out for a grand romp across the realms. Yeah, you don't see any any rules for that until Moldvay, and I, and I'm not I'm not read up very well on AD and D at all, so mm-hmm. there may exist rules for it in AD and D. What I want to point out in Moldvay that I think is funny. So halflings are limited to eighth level. Mm-hmm. So they don't technically reach name level ever. <laughs> uh, so it's um, uh, it, it says in Moldvay, I'm reading it right now. Anytime a halfling has enough money, he or she may build a stronghold. You know, it's just a matter. Just if you got <laughs> enough money, go for it. It continues, which may attract a whole community of halflings. Like who cares? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You get you get a shire. You get a shire. It and that's you the no kind of points. thing with like um <laughs> Your influence changes over a handful of halflings and that's it. And that's I mean, that's very Tolkien in that the the Shire really wasn't involved with the rest of the world. No, it was um you know, it was in Arnor, but like they didn't really do anything with the big folk. Right. I mean it wasn't it wasn't a political power. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I kinda like that 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 kind of stays there like as a halfling sure start a stronghold you know have some halflings come and uh it's so um blasé about it it's very uh uh indicative of the little brown books yeah you want to play a halfling here you go i was thinking that Uh, sort of same thing about magic users in the three brown books though because it's like a wizard's probably like i would think wizards would not have their own their own tower but i could see a cabal of wizards getting together and pulling their resources to start a college or a library or something like that well and, and so um uh, uh so back to Moldvay, where it goes on to say they can construct a tower and they will gain one to six apprentices of levels one to three so again that's kind of like this balancing act where the high level fighter has an army mm-hmm. you know and that that's kind of the power structure of being a high level fighter compared to the power structure of being a high level wizard is your magic spells. And you also get one D six first through third level wizards to help you out, but they're not really going to do much against an army. Now, and I will say um, I'm not very familiar with Blackmore and on mm-hmm. uh, uh, supplements to OD and and they may go over um Elven strongholds and dwarven strongholds and wizard strongholds in those supplements, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not super familiar. I I'm also not super familiar with uh, the further supplements as well. Like I know that there are rules that exist in those things, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not. I'm not. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. Um, it's something I should have looked at. I, I should have looked into that. Actually, that would have been a, a really good thing, but. Uh, I kind of, I didn't. I, I failed you guys. It's, it's what happened. Sorry. Um, if you guys have any information about that, though, I mean, we'll probably look at this afterwards. But you know, if there's anything you missed or any sort of ideas that you guys thought 
kind of coincide with what we're saying here today, you can always write us an email at questions at saverguide.info or uh, talk to us on the forums at osrgaming.org. You can tweet us. We're in the Discord, um, the Wild Games Productions Discord. You can get that as well from osrgaming.org. I don't know. Is there... I guess we could also talk about marrying in to royalty. Now, um, so about that marrying into power stuff... Is, is that kind of thing kind of comes with all of its own uh, constraints mm-hmm. uh, uh, on, on, on the player character. You know, once you've established that they have this familial life they to work with and pay attention to, um, it brings, um, you know, it's kind of where, why in, in sequels a lot of times they ruin the happy ending they set up in the first uh, uh, story. Yeah, complacency uh, <laughs> is not dramatic. It's not like a, a good dramatic device. I I guess we'll I'll talk about this. Like I, I keep talking about the never ending adventure. Um, right. So I hate that D and D characters exist in a world just to go. You're just on one big long camping trip. And you mm-hmm. go from one place to the next, and you may sleep in like a hotel every once in a while, but you don't. There's nowhere you hang your hat. That's actually the the basis for the next episode, which I'm titling "The Ties That Bind," is curtailing that where you exist just to kill stuff and take their treasure, or be on the right. quest. I love like downtime in RPGs where player characters talk to each other or talk to their NPCs or, like, do other things is my favorite thing. I I hate the idea of you leave your house at 18 after getting home from the war and you just go and fight monsters until you either die or build a castle. I like the idea of, like, oh, I went on an adventure, I made 14,000 gold, I'm going to, you know, chill at home for a while, and then six months later, your buddy, the elf, comes through, and he goes, he's like, uh, Darfin, that's your name in this instance, uh, sure. We, I heard a rumor of this magic sword being buried in this kingdom that was overtaken by a, a flood 4,000 years ago, and there may be lost treasure there, I think it would be like, it would be worth the risk to investigate, and then you pack up. And you go on the adventure, and you're gone for you know six months to a year. You get all your stuff. If you survive, you come back. You start farming again, or you know living in your hut. And the Sackville Baggins. I, I like take having over. a base. Yeah. I like having a base of operations where my player characters are returned to. I like that to be the primary NPCs they interact with. I think that concept to me speaks more of the the narrative construct of the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. where the hero's journey is uh, somebody within a comfortable situation moves out of their comfortable situation, has an adventure and returns to the situation and it has changed in some form. Yeah. Um, uh, And to me, I think what that allows is a known narrative construct that we know that our dwarf friend and our elf friend and, and, and these other people that we get along with are back at this place. Um, so for my current family game, that's kind of become there's a dwarven keep that's built into the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's a defensive keep that's also populated um, by a group of clerics from a 
religion of a, a healing God. And the reason that even came into existence is because they won a great battle together. And mm -hmm. so that's where they end up keep going back to. That's become their base of operations. Uh, and there's, there's lots of NPCs there that they all have interacted with and they have gotten to know that provide typically the next quest hook or the next bit of information. For me, I, 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 I like the idea of having a place you return to because like adventuring, I don't like the idea of adventure being your job. I like the idea of adventure being a thing. Uh, an adventure is a thing you do. You go on an adventure. Right. And then you come home and your wife and kids are there and they missed you and they're happy to have you back. And then, you know, a couple years later, your friends from out of town show up and you're super happy to see them. And you're like, hey, I got something to tell you. We finally found uh, King Rabadars. I'm not very good at coming up with fantasy names on the fly, if you haven't noticed, listeners. We found King Rabadars treasure and we, you know, I've got all the, I've got the mules hired. I've got the carriages just say when, and we'll go, and we'll grab it, and come back, and you can afford to send young Timmy to wizard school. <laughs> I know how expensive wizard school tuition is. That's that's what I like, and that that I like the idea of players doing stuff besides adventuring, and I, I think having a family or marrying into you know royalty or having kids with with a duchess. I'm attracted to that because it, it just cements that you're a part of this world. Which is the whole goal of being name level. Bada bing, bada boom. We brought it around. <laughs> yeah, I think we've kind of exhausted this to the best of our ability. Um, I'm sure there's some things we missed, like how does how do the supplements for Brown Book D&D handle <laughs> these sort of things. That's something I, I am going to look into actually after this, but... There's a lot of different ways you can go outside of building a stronghold. Tying your player characters to the world, which I think is the point of building that stronghold, and also kind of giving them status as they gain levels, you know, like getting retainers or getting deeds and things like that, or, or building up to having name level be the end game. If I've already given out our contact information again, if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you can write us in it. Um, Questions at saverdie.info. And again, we're on Twitter. We're on social media. We've got forums at osrgaming.org. We have a Twitter account at saverdie staff. And, you know, join the Discord. I, we've been getting some new people in there, I've noticed. We've got some, some fresh blood. So it's been nice. And we actually, before we go, we do have another email here for you. Um, this one yeah. came in just this morning, actually. So very fortuitous timing. But, Carl, I, I, why don't you give that a read? Yeah, and I, I want to say with all this ways to contact us, um, uh, I love being corrected. I don't <laughs> mind it at all. So um, if you uh, feel there's something we've missed or something we didn't talk about or or something we covered incorrectly, absolutely shoot it over to us because to me, that's the most interesting thing about this conversation is being able to learn more about this game's history and uh uh, that's what uh, Daniel Boggs did. He, he sent us an email uh, and he said, Hi, gentlemen, just listened to your podcast on the cleric and thought it best to alert you of some corrections. But let me say it was overall very interesting to good job. Okay. The class was never called the Vampire Slayer class. It began as the village priest. 
Monard's story is interesting, but secondhand. He wasn't there when the priest was created, and broadly but not precisely accurate. The priest was indeed a key character type in the Great Vampire Hunt, which did indeed occur to hunt down Dave Fance, Sir Fang. However, the priest character predates that. Hmm. It is also not true that Sir Fant wanted to be a vampire. That was Dwayne Jenkins' bandit character. Dwayne was a huge fan of the Dark Shadows show. Eventually, Dwayne used a wish spell to become a vampire, and Arneson granted it. But as with most wish spells, it came with a twist, and Jenkins became the first vampire rosebush. Also, Mike Carr wasn't Father Carr. He was my Carr, the priest. Next time you guys delve into Blackmore history, you might want to chat with me, Havard, first. Either one of us could clue you in to the real scoop. Anyway, you might also want to add my discussion of the Blackmore cleric to your blog list. Um, and he provides us his blog, which is uh, bogswood.blogspot.com. And he has a blog on the clerics of Blackmore. And he also has a blog on the um, uh, history of turning undead. Um, so uh, those would both be uh, good to listen to. That's bogswood.blogspot.com. Yeah. Uh, that's Dan Alderon Boggs. Thank you so much, Dan, for the email. I do want to jump in here real quick and just say that the priest being named Makar or Mykar is the most beautiful early D&D naming convention, yes. and I'm really happy about it. Um, yes. Also, uh, it's interesting to see that Mike, uh, Mike Menard's, his account being secondhand, because he literally... And Harvard's <laughs> Blackmore blog, I read this verbatim, he starts it, ahem, I was there. So, you know, I mean, I, maybe Harvard's not that, uh, maybe he's not that uh, good of a source. I'm just saying, you know, it's, quote, quote I'm saying and stuff was there, it wasn't true. Now we gotta look like big dumb idiots on the internet. I plead the fifth on all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're both fine gentlemen. Oh, yeah. And definitely. I agree. I agree with both of them, 100%. Yeah, I um I, I really like that you you know thank you Dan for that email like I'm I'm also glad to be wrong because if you're wrong you get to be right the next time so I same with I have no ego about being corrected I I really appreciate that you offered to let us use you as a resource actually that's really really handy so thank you for reaching out to us um. I want people to write emails about shows that weren't the cleric episode. That's what I would like from you. That one has Tell been... us where we're wrong about everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you have any like kingdoms of Yurendi like knowledge that you can throw on us, I want to know more about that. Like the Gazetteer series, I'm so excited to read more of them. Um, because if that was the worst one, it was really <laughs> good. But I think that's gonna call it for tonight yeah all right well again for the save or die podcast immortal edition i've been crispy and he's been carl oh i was supposed to do like a thing there yeah. <laughs> and i've been carl this, this is your take two not let's, let's back off a little bit yet. i don't got my sea legs that's fine <laughs> see you next time Tell you something, brother. 
the Saber Die Podcast Immortal Edition is a production of Wild Games Productions, brother. It is produced for entertainment purposes only, Jack. All other uses are prohibited, dude. So be sure to visit them at saberdie.info for more information, brother. What you gonna do when the Saber Die Podcast runs wild on you? Ooh. This is a Wild Games Production Podcast.